way. It's really fucking frustrating. And I was like thinking I was bringing a simplified setup with me and it just it just got more complicated. I'm lucky that I found these fucking Apple earplugs that have like 13 year old earwax in them that I just have to fucking use right now. <laughs> And I'm disgusted, but I'm using them because I just found them. I don't know whose they are. And then also I'm recording like with my just with my microphone on my uh, computer because like it also isn't registering these Apple headset microphones. So that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, good. Good. Um, I'm hoping the recording sounds OK, but God damn. Um, anyway, <laughs> we got to figure it out. Uh, how are you been, man? Uh, good, man. Just um uh, let's see what's been going on. Uh, I don't know. This past week, just uh, listening to this album and watching a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, surprisingly enough, compared to the last album that we did with uh, Limp Bizkit, Three Dollar Bill, y'all, yeah. there was just a lot of background, like behind the scenes kind of stage banter with the bands and everything. I found it really interesting. Um, so, like watching all that and. I know I'm having a lot of fun just um, reminiscing. reminiscing. I, I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, man. I uh, I realized like how little I listened to this record. Like mm-hmm. until I started listening to it for this episode. Like somehow I it's, thought that it's been a while for me since I listened to this record. Like this one in particular. Like yeah. For I think this is right when I was starting to get out of the new metal phase for a while. Like. This was probably when I was starting to get real deep into it. Corn Issues was, man, it had to have been like my second or third album that I bought uh, oh, wow. with my own money. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. This was like, man, I, for some reason, I thought this album came out in high school for me. And mm-hmm. this came out in 1999. Yep. So I was in seventh grade. I, I would have been, yeah, I would have been in eighth grade. Uh-huh. seventh grade depending on when exactly 1999 yeah yeah no uh yeah it was it was crazy to think that because I, I thought seventh grade for me was like the fucking epicenter of like when i was really listening to corn and limp Bizkit and all that stuff and like i think this album came out the same year as uh hot dog flavored water really <laughs> i think because i remember walking down the hallways of my middle school singing roland and doing the roland dance walking down the hallway and like fucking no shame with my friends just being like thinking we're so fucking cool oh man and so i think this was right around that that same time but it's weird because i i thought i was like oh man that was the album that came out like when i was already in high school and i was like not listening to corn anymore or any of that stuff i was already like into my punk phase and then i look back i'm like no this came out like right when i was like super into this stuff so like there was something about this record when it first came out that like didn't grab me back then and mm-hmm. listening to it back now i think i like it way more than i did when it first came out yes uh i feel the same way however i will say this about the album uh listening to it again the production value especially for when it came out like to me man it sounds amazing like it sounds like yeah. it came out it sounds like it came out yesterday um the yeah the production value really holds up um I'd say my biggest fucking complaint with this album is probably just I just don't identify with the lyrics anymore. Like some at of the, all. <laughs> yeah. And some of the it's interesting to me how some of the lyrics 
are just cringe now and so um, cringe like are to me there were so many words uh specifically uh the word the use of the word rape that i feel like was such it was used all the time in music uh back then specifically mm-hmm. in this uh in this era of music um yeah, yeah, found true. It really interesting. <laughs> yeah, man, I had the exact same thoughts. And sorry, trigger warning for anyone. Yeah, the uh-huh. the the R word comes up so often on this fucking record, and it's so, like you said, cringy. Like I literally wrote that mm-hmm. down. Like, dude, the lyrics are lacking, like hardcore on this record. Like yeah. some of these songs are so like, his lyrics are so on the nose. And almost like, like there's obviously a song about like, we're fighting, like we're in a band and we're, we're fighting right now. So I'm going to write a song about like being in a fight with your friends and like, (laughs) why are we fighting? We love each other. Well, it's, it's interesting because like, from what I gathered from those, uh, you know, backstage videos is, um, this is probably when the band was at like the most cohesive and without, with the least amount of problems too. Cause like mm-hmm. apparently Jonathan Davis um, going in with this record was suffering from a lot of mental issues specifically related to uh, a lot of drug use and a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess it was having a, a lot of backstage sex back in the day and uh, uh, all those things together just kind of like culminated uh, with him having a child and then realizing that he can't do that stuff anymore and that he probably has to take better care of himself. And so with this album, uh, they specifically got a producer that was going to be quite a taskmaster on them to make right. sure that they, that they didn't party too hard, specifically uh, compared to Follow the Leader, which apparently has its own stories and everything when it comes to that. Man, yeah, I read the same thing that they kind of, the producer like kind of, Mm. Yeah, they said it was a lot less partying and a lot more like focused on just getting the album done and everything. Uh, ugh, it's so gross to me to know that Jonathan Davis was fucking groupies. Like that's just that <laughs> that dude looks like a dreadlocked gremlin. He kind of reminds me of Post Malone sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Post Malone is somehow like a better looking version. Of Jonathan Davis, a better person for sure. (laughs) A better person, more talented. Uh, What you know? What? Let's get into this album, man. uh, What's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Earbuds, the podcast where two friends or very good friends talk about very good albums for a very good amount of time. We today have a special guest, a return guest, uh, Mr. Luis Roa. What up, yo? Dude, he wanted to come back and talk more new metal, and I am always into that. <laughs> and today's gonna be a little bit of a weird, little weird one. The intro is is a little cut short because we're missing one half of earbuds on this episode. Brett is not able to join us. He's dealing with some health issues. Uh, oh, my poor sweet Brett. I know our, our poor little boy. Um, he's hopefully gonna get better soon. But I know the combination of like he got his second. COVID shot, so he's dealing with with all that stuff. Plus, he's he's got some other things, and he's trying to get some antibiotics and all this stuff. So, hopefully, Brett, uh, hope you feel better soon, man. We will miss you on this episode. But I'm super glad that me and Luis were still able to get together and record this. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about issues by the band Corn. And this issues is their fourth studio album. Yes. 
um, came out in 1999, uh, right around, we were talking about this in the beginning, like, I think we were, like, in either 7th or 8th grade when this came out, and, yeah, definitely, like, obviously, like, Falling Away From Me was, like, such an awesome song when it came out, but this, yeah. there's something about this record that, like, didn't grab me back then, and listening to it now, I have, like, such a deep appreciation, like, so just just for the guitar the musicality of it and the other thing too that really stands out to me is um the number of tracks how long it is and like there there are songs that are purposely just filler like yeah, they're supposed like, they're supposed to be the bridge between one song to the other and it's just something that like man you really don't see anymore like this this album really brings me back to how uh bands used to write music before yeah like albums used to be albums like they used mm -hmm. to be cohesive pieces of work uh this yeah this there's like four or five interludes on this record that are like mm -hmm. a minute minute and a half long and which is, uh, which is unheard of like that's yeah. that's a fucking quarter of the uh, album right there because yeah there's like 20 tracks on here i think jesus yeah that's another thing too is like i think follow the leader had like uh, 16 <laughs> six yeah so i I, I think for me, follow the leader is like peak corn mm -hmm. for me. Like, and that one was like over an hour long. Yeah. Um, which is crazy because it's four, it's 14 songs. So it's like six fewer songs in this album and it's 15 minutes longer. Um, so yeah, man, they, I feel like it's cool because like, yeah, I think follow the leader is like peak corn in terms of like radio friendly corn and like really catchy corn and, this, and very hip-hop inspired it's funny because like uh this album for me was like the beginning and the end of corn because i couldn't this was the album that got me into corn and to explore their other albums but this really? was also the last one that uh i could enjoy because i really didn't like the uh, the one that came out after this one uh, uh untouchables right yeah and I don't even remember what the hell was the single on that. Like, I don't even Oh, remember. man. I don't. I just remember it sounded very, very different compared to everything else that Korn had done. It makes me wonder what exactly changed between the dynamic of the members of the band. Because uh, in a lot of the videos that I saw for this album, um, the uh, they would explain, like, the new people that they were working with. Uh, by saying that, like, you know, no matter what, no matter how we change the producer, recording artist, whatever, uh, we're still going to sound like Korn. <laughs> but the next album, in my opinion, they really didn't sound like Korn anymore. I mean, this one, like, surprisingly, this album is a really cool culmination of, like, the previous three records all kind of coming together really, really nicely. Like, the yeah. way that they wrote those songs, like... Mm -hmm. uh, like I was into corn from their first record. Like, mm -hmm. I think I got the, their self-titled, it came out in 94. So I must've gotten it like really soon after I moved to, to the U S and man, it was like the darkest music I'd ever heard. I mean, I was seven or eight listening mm -hmm. to the original corn record, which is probably not healthy <laughs> to do mentally. Uh -huh. And it, there was a lot of really fucked up songs on there and themes and content and everything. But it was one of the, I never heard guitar like that. 
and yeah. like and bass like that and all this stuff and I was just like man it, it immediately grabbed me and then Life is Peachy came out and I was so psyched and I hated it mm-hmm. I hated Life is Peachy and I was so bummed because I was just like already seeing them change like I feel like yeah. Life is Peachy like they got like I don't know you can you can hear an ego mm-hmm. on that record and I was like dude these they're not really trying that hard it was a lot more uh, a lot less catchy than the original album and then follow the leader came out and that was like still my favorite corn record to this day uh even more than the original and that's the one that got me into them but it was like mm-hmm. dude follow the leader was so like freak on a leash and got the life or, or what and just like all in the family so yeah. many great songs on that record and then uh i don't know what like when this one came out when i was a kid it, like something about it I, I was i rejected it like mentally i'm just like this isn't corn i don't like this like i was so excited for this record i loved falling away from me mm-hmm. the single and then i listened to the whole thing and i was and just it, it didn't grab me and then now going back to it i'm like there's something about this record that it's like the it's more brutal and simple than follow the leader mm-hmm but uh, I can see your cat in front of the camera. Oh God! <laughs> it's like um, way more brutal than Follow the Leader. Um, the the and guitar parts seem like more simple, but then also like at times way more intricate too. Yeah, man. Like it's interesting how it goes from like what you were talking about earlier with uh, the guitars and and the bass too. I think like. Um there isn't a lot of musicality in there. Like, I feel like a lot of them are just textures and, um, um, sounding nuance to the song. Um, what was the point that I was going to make? Um, uh, going in that same vein, uh, something else about this album that like really stood out to me was just, um, I remember just thinking and giving a lot of shit to Fieldy back in that day mm. because, uh, his notes like almost barely don't have any tone because he tunes his bass down so much and it's really more about texture than anything else i feel like i i really appreciate it a lot more listening to this album again because i noticed that a lot of the parts of the tracks that i really enjoyed i thought were drum parts but now listening to it again now it's just this really cool syncopation between the drum and the bass that like makes it sound like a whole nother drummer is there sometimes. Yeah, man. The way Fieldy plays bass is so like percussive. Mm-hmm. Very like, percussive. It is a lot about the texture that comes with it. And he has to be like locked. I, I know like it may not seem that he's not doing anything really talented, but like when you have to be locked up with the drummer like that, I don't know. You gotta, you have to know your way around music. Yeah, I mean, deciding to play in a metal band and play slap bass is mm-hmm. a very weird choice. And yep. uh, yeah, man, and he pulled it off. Like, you don't really, you know, I haven't listened to the older corn stuff in a long time, but like, I feel like he really started getting like a lot more percussive with his stuff uh, on Follow the Leader. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what, what was cool is about like reading about this album that they all felt like this was them at their best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, man, it would like after three albums under their belt already. And it's just like, they, they were saying that like Jonathan Davis is a way better singer. Now we're way better songwriters. They had, they knew how to write like radio friendly songs, but stay heavy. And it is like, it, it really does. Like this is, this album feels like a culmination of like everything that they had done before. Right. And all the different things that they tried, you know? 
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I mean, uh, I would have to listen to the other albums more thoroughly again. But like, it seems to me, at least, when it comes to his uh, vocals, he's uh, exploring, I think, a lot more avenues than in, in previous stuff. He's doing uh, some weird shit on this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, some very odd uh, things. I mean, uh, he's done it before in previous albums, but like a lot of like what I call like character singing, I think. Yeah. Where, like, uh, he, he he completely changes the way he sings for like one line and then back to like the loud fucking growling kind of stuff that he's more in line with. It's like on that uh, Beg For Me, on yeah. the track Beg For Me, he's just like, dude, What? why can't he pronounce words normally? <laughs> He like, why can't you just let me boy? I'm like, you're saying B, but it sounds like you're saying boy. <laughs> and it's the same. He says fuck. So weird. Uh-huh. Like he said, it sounds like he's saying buck a lot of times. And I'm just like, are you like trying to not curse or something? And he's just like, fuck, buck. I'm like, I don't oh like God. He, someone. Yeah. I'm beg for me, especially when he's like. He's doing that little. Like that was like, it's like the music is so so good on this record, and then mm. like his vocals just like lost me, man. And I, and I don't know if it's like I feel like this was a very methy era of corn. Like I heard there was a lot of meth in really going around, going around the corn circle. Uh huh. And Man, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but like uh, that was the one thing I think I got the most from as far as like reading about it and everything was just how much uh, it wasn't anywhere near as much of a party scene as it was with Follow the Leader. Specifically, everything they kept comparing to Follow the Leader, like how <laughs> how much they uh, they just completely went off the deep end with drugs and alcohol during that album, and on this one specifically, they're like, okay, let's sit down and really do this. Um, you know, you know what's missing on this record that was on every corn record before this, his little weird scat man stuff he would do. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And no, I think that's got- very methy. <laughs> that's that's meth inspired. Yeah, honestly. Really, oh my god! You know what? I think that's the man. I never would have put two and two together. He probably <laughs> did have like a meth episode, and they just decided to fucking record it. Yeah, he's like. Boom, like who thinks that unless you're you're <laughs> fucking just tweaking yeah like yeah he that's that's what to me i'm like that's the the meth era of corn like you listen to some of the shit they did on life is peachy and i'll follow the leader and you're just like dude what made you think that that was a good idea despite how fucking much i loved it uh-huh when i was younger <laughs> that that part in in freak on a leash is like so cool and so ballsy yeah. to do it you know and own it and think you're doing something cool when it's mm. not cool at all. <laughs> and there's none of that on this record. Like listening mm. to it, you know, after the first few times, I was just like, what is it? Like, I couldn't pinpoint what sounded so different. I'm like, oh, he's mm. not, they're not doing any of that weird Scatman stuff. But like he's, instead of that, he's replaced it with like, I'm a singer now. Yeah. And I'm going to do like, yeah, I'm going to be creepy. And I want to be. I want to do a weird fucking alien voice. Uh, just like, so, dude, I don't know what's what I like more. And sometimes it's just so hard. To, uh, like, uh, I think right off the bat, the first uh, track that does that, that like, uh, I really can't listen to it is uh, trash. Uh, specifically, there's this one line in the beginning where he's like, 
all these little girls and I'm just <laughs> I'm like, I can't even fucking like listen to it. I fill them up. Or some other yeah, fucking I fill them up. <laughs> uh, it's I love the chorus of trash, but like yeah man, his I mean they they have a song called Hey Daddy. Okay, so you know what's you know what's funny is that like besides the lyrical part, like that's one of my favorite songs on this album, uh, especially yes. like the way the song builds up towards the end. It it sounds so grand and epic, but yeah, like uh, and I actually enjoy the way he kind of sings like "Hey, Daddy," but like it's just yeah. the lyrics. I can't hear daddy anymore without like certain connotations that it comes with. <laughs> so creepy. And that's probably what he was going for. Like he's been through some shit. Well, it, it's so it, that word means, I think it's just so different nowadays compared to what it used to mean back then. It, I mean, it, anytime it re- I hear a daughter call her dad, daddy, it makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, that's me. That's my shit. Well, we 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 we've, we've ruined it for ourselves because like I feel it's just like a a porno thing now. Daddy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say like, dude, the, probably the cringiest uh, title on the whole record, but mm. by far like the best singing that Davis does on the whole record is on "Hey Daddy." Mm. Um, super super catchy, and man, that chorus is so fucking awesome. Yeah. Like the guitar work again, like bringing that back up, man, like. I'm so impressed with the riffs on this record. Yeah, the the other thing that I really enjoyed about the guitars was um so f- with Fieldy's bass, you really don't get like the the sustain, the tone that you get with normally with uh bassists mm-hmm. and like the guitars more than make up for it during certain songs. Like there are some parts where like it just sounds heavy as fucking shit. And I and I truly wonder how they did that because you can still hear Philly's bass, but like it's just a click in the beginning mm-hmm. with nothing else after that. Yeah, you so, don't really hear much. Yeah, it is weird. Um, it's it's like it, he does shine though on like those parts where the guitars cut out, right? In a lot of yeah. like the verses where the guitars are doing that kind of something that they do a lot in corn records is like they put on that flanger the chorus and just do really trippy hmm. note work in the back. And like in falling away from me, it's kind of cool because like they like heavy heavy distorted the bass during the during the verses yeah and he's just doing to do dude to do dude and it's just really really distorted and like heavy and deep and everything it's like you mm. do get some of that but yeah man those guitars are beefy yeah they're really beefy and at the same time they're adding all the you know speaking about falling away from me um they just add that like those dissonant notes in the background you know they really add uh to the in- overall creepy feeling that you get yeah it sets like the yeah the vibe of the whole thing like and and and, like there's so many riffs on this record that are so good and like i can't tell if i'm filling in notes that aren't there or if they're really playing Mm. all that stuff because like falling away from me that like are they really playing all that or is it just am i filling all that in because I feel like I can hear the notes in there. Like I feel like they, right. they just have some really kind of like intricate, complex riffs on this record, and it's somehow like at, at the same time like way more simple and brutal. But then also some of the riffs are just like some of the coolest riffs that they've written. Yeah, and, and, and let's let's not uh, forget about the drummer, man. The drummer I think is also one of the I, th- I think he's one of the more talented people in the band. Uh, 
one of the more unspoken heroes. Like yeah, it's like the like, it's like the drummer Limp Biscuit and the drummer of Deftones. It's just like mm-hmm. the, no one gives them the credit that they deserve because they're just doing what they need to, mm-hmm. but they're making it so much more. Mm-hmm. Like without them playing those types of drums, like these songs wouldn't be as good. Like they, the Deftones drummer, you never hear anything that he does. It's like oh man, that was awesome. But then you see him live and you're just like oh my god, like you were carrying this entire song. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite songs when it comes to that, and especially with the um, uh, the way the bass and the drums play with each other, is in "Make Me Bad" uh, during the chorus, when uh, the drummer is uh, hitting the toms, Fieldy's also hitting the bass as well, and like to me, it just gives like really makes those toms just fucking hit every single time. Yeah, the yeah that part. Yeah, the specifically. Yeah, and he's just he doing that little clicky kick, 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 on his bass, like. You know, when I when I was younger, listening to that song, I truly thought that it was just the the drummer like doing rim shots or something like that. It, I did not figure out that it was the bassist playing as well. It's kind of like that realization when you're listening to uh, uh, what's the the Children of the Grave, the the is it Children of the Grave right the the Black Sabbath song. That it's like you're hearing this like and you're like, is that more drums? Is that the bass? Like what is going on? Yep. Yeah, it's uh it's just uh the toms, I think, if I remember correctly. I think it's like a uh yeah, whole nother drum track on that. But yeah, man, I that's it's weird like when you go back to this and you're just like, Man, Fieldy's just lucky to be there. And then you go back and you listen to it and you're just like, Wow, he really does add like such a unique sound to the band. You know, yeah, like it's like it's you know, and you can say this about so many bands, but I feel like with Corn, it's just like there there can't really be anyone else in this band, and it would be this good, mm-hmm. you know. Like these five guys, it had to be these five guys, mm-hmm. you know. Like no one else could have made this band what they did, and it, and honestly, like ever since uh, the drummer left, like they fell off hard, man. They don't have the and, same hip hop vibe that they used to, you know. And it really drums. and it really goes to speak for how like how old this album is so everyone like it came out in 1999 this fucking album is old enough to drink now oh god <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> bro was like i was three when this album i i've came out. Like, like i completely have just uh haven't kept up with them at all so i i didn't even know the drummer left oh he um, left a while ago yeah yeah uh, and, uh what's pretty soon after that they uh, was came it, out with an album with skrillex was it Head or Monkey that left too because he found Jesus? Head, yeah, he got uh, uh, he was reborn. Yeah, and he, I mean, yeah, and then he came back and he was like, you know what, I miss meth. I want to go back to corn. <laughs> I'm like, I have a joke. You see, you had a craving. Uh, yeah, I just want to go back to good old fashioned corn, dude. It's it's uh, am I the only one that wanted dreadlocks because of because of corn? <laughs> yeah, probably. I can't. Uh, I can't think of any other. Uh, you know, that's that's another thing, too, that, like, I didn't realize until doing research for this, but, like, they also aesthetically looked very different from every, everything else that was happening yeah. at the time, too. Like, if I didn't know any better and I didn't know what their music sounded like or anything, I would have thought they were, like, a Chicano band or something like, <laughs> like that, man. Yeah, for sure. Like, this, this, this band is very... Uh, is very Hispanic, and yeah. um, I just completely f- didn't realize that at the time. Or yeah, I yeah, just, I think everyone except Jonathan Davis is is Hispanic, right? Mm-hmm, I think so. Yeah, 
or uh, Latin or Hispanic, one or the other. Um, yeah, man, I, that was one thing that I connected with it too. Like learning that monkey was a Hispanic dude. And I was just mm-hmm. like, what? Like monkey looked like, and probably still looks like what I've always wanted to look like, mm-hmm. like the dreadlocks. <laughs> and he had the little goatee, just the patch on the chin yep. and he just looked awesome. And they dressed like how I dressed. Like they wore like Jinkos and, and long yep. ass, you know, like polo shirts and, like they had a very like California, like, uh, like you said, like Chicano vibe to them and mm-hmm. like the way that they, their aesthetic. And, uh, but man, they were, they were one of the most darkest, creepiest bands I was into at the time. Cause you compare like, you know, Rage Against the Machine I was listening to at the same time as this and that they're not nearly as like, just, yeah, dark, they, you know? they were definitely the, the goth kid of the, uh, new metal scene of the day, I believe can't really think of anyone else i don't know like which wouldn't slipknot come out and uh right around break into time. the scene right around this time yeah i remember spit it out was like right around this time hmm. i mean even like like i'm listening to it right now like wake up he's just like wake the fuck up oh, yeah. I'm like, i don't understand <laughs> and then wake up like that riff the yeah. Like, I didn't even been on the original like Limp Bizkit record too. Like, you know what's funny is that I didn't even realize he was saying that. I was I thought he was screaming something like, "What the fuck, huh? What the <laughs> fuck, huh?" <laughs> I was like, "Wake the fuck up!" Yeah. <laughs> and that one would have been. Oh, I bet that fucking hit so hard live. Like just to, like the crowd probably but, went crazy um, during that song. Specifically about that song, though, too. Uh, I think it's it's just an exa- a great example of like the different influences they've had throughout this album. Like the verse part of it, I feel like sounds really different uh, compared to yeah. everything else that they've done. The verses sound like an Incubus song or something. Like not is, the way he's singing, but the music is very the Incubus-y. music, and it's very like it's very production heavy. Like the producer put some thought into intended as far as like how that part sounds dude i mean the the producer brendan o'brien um mm-hmm. he has a really impressive catalog he's he did uh he mixed like blood sugar sex magic wow uh, or he engineered it he uh he engineered he produced and mixed stone temple pilots uh original like their debut album mm-hmm. he did uh aerosmith's get a grip he did Super Unknown by Soundgarden. Mm. Wow. He did uh, Evil Empire. He produced Evil Empire. He produced Battle of Los Angeles. He he has That's like uh, um, a re- and I'm like skipping over a bunch of stuff that I just like don't care about, but there's still like mm. big deals like Neil Young, Matthew Sweet, yeah, uh, tons of Pearl Jam, ch- tons of Stone Temple Pilots. Like he he, I mean he did fucking Drops of Jupiter, God damn it, by Train. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, so like I just kind of I man I, I think about the sound of Evil Empire and uh, Battle of Los Angeles, and I can hear that same influence on this music. Like when I, when I For listen sure. to the to the music of those of those two Rage records, I'm just like, mm. wow, I can hear such similarities in how he recorded this. Man, I'd have to listen to Evil Empire again because to me, the battle for Los Angeles sounds so different. It does, uh, yeah. It's to way other beefier. Rage Against the Machine, yeah. Uh, it, but it's also like I can totally see the uh, the influence too because, uh, especially listening to this album, 
um i don't know i just feel like the production's better uh compared to the previous stuff so that's uh, interesting you said that i have to dude check that. out uh if you haven't heard evil empire in a long time check that out mm. because that is uh, my, that's my favorite rage record and yeah. uh you i mean talk about production value like that has it crazy crazy production on that record like so much like think about like you know just the guitar that tom morello plays and mm. he did so much more uh like experimental stuff on evil empire compared yeah. to um their self-titled record where that one was just like so just pure rock and 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 you know hip-hop and all that stuff like in evil mm. empire he's doing like he, you know, his his guitar setup is really simple, but he is like really going off the rails on uh, on Evil Empire. It's, and you, I can hear it when I listen to this record. I'm just like, yeah, that's like I didn't know that that was the same producer, and I wouldn't have thought it if you didn't tell me. And then hearing it now, I'm just like, I can hear how it's the same person. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really it's really cool, man. Like this this guy, like I almost want to listen to all the records that this dude produced. Just to, like how impressive this one that this this record alone, and then going back, I'm sure. like, oh my god, he produced some of my favorite like records of that era, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just it's crazy to me how like radio friendly corn was. Like this record alone was it, like certified platinum like three fucking times. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, again, this album just reminds me of how different uh, music used to be. Um, one of the other things about this album that was like a first for a lot of music back then was, uh, if I remember correctly, the first single falling away from me was the first time a band of that caliber released a song for free off of their website. Yeah. And, ag- and, and against the wishes of everyone around them. <laughs> it, yeah. Of course the record label wouldn't want them to. Yeah. And it ended up being great. Uh, it was a huge success as far as like getting the word out for this album and um uh, something else that like just um fucking uh hilarious for me so remember that corn did an episode on south park i love i love that you're bringing this up i i didn't realize back then but like uh their appearance was specifically to promote the uh this the release of this album right here yeah yeah they they did that uh what was the episode called? Like the super freaky mystery tour. Yeah, they were making fun of uh, Scooby Doo, and yeah. they were uh, they were they were supposed to be the Scooby Doo gang, and they were so <laughs> like clean cut and like innocent throughout the whole yeah. episode. And then they're yep. like, "Oh, Jinkies, we're gonna play you guys a song." Uh, after the, <laughs> yeah. You know, after we solve this mystery, and yep. it's fucking falling away from me, and they yep. just start like head banging <laughs> and like being super brutal. And I, oh, thought, man. when I was a kid, being so into corn. And so excited for this record and so into South Park. I was like, dude, this is like the best. Ah, man, does South Park even have like uh, musician guest stars anymore? Because like those are some of the funniest and best episodes. Uh, I can't remember which one exactly, but Dio shows up at one point. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he has this hilarious high-pitched voice and immediately goes into <laughs> Holy Diver. And it's just, uh, it, it's so funny to me. Dude, I I think the only other band that I can remember being on there for sure was Radiohead of all people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, were I they were they uh, were they officially on there? Like, was it the actual musicians and everything? I'm ninety percent sure. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, the rock band, the whole band, Radiohead, guest stars in the episode as themselves. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. It was a great episode, too. Scott Tenorman Must Die. That was, I think that's the <laughs> one where he chopped up that kid's parents and made him into chili. Yep. That's when Cartman went full fucking, like, psychopath. Yep. Uh, another cool thing I, I thought, like, not only did they release the album for free, or release that song for free, um, but they did something like, what was it? Uh, they started to, they attempted to start an online uh, email chain by posting a letter online and asking fans to email the letter to 10 other people and then to sign the I downloaded the corn single for free guest book on the band's site. <laughs> and for everyone who signed, corn, not only did they release this, this one s- single for free, but everyone who signed the guest book, they donated a quarter to, uh, to charities. And they, from just donating a quarter for each episode or for each person that signed, they donated over like $250,000. And there you go. And there's, there's, that's a lot of people telling music. Dude, I have to like, what is 250,000 times? I mean, well, how would I even do this math to figure out how many people signed that? I don't even know how to do the math. Is it Wait, four? What was it again? 250,000 people? Yeah. And it was a quarter for each person. So is that a million people? That's a million people. Yeah, dude. That, <laughs> a million people signed their fucking, like, downloaded the shit for free and signed on. And I thought it was really cool. They Which back then, man, like, you couldn't get a million people to do anything on the internet back then. This is back before social media. So it's, can't even comprehend how they did, how they did that. How crazy is that, right? And just so cool yep. that you wouldn't think that, you know... With the type of band that Corn is, like you wouldn't think that they would do something like that, like donate to a charity, especially like a children's charity. Yeah. And I thought that was really a nice little thing. I'm like, oh, like I, I can support Corn now for that a little bit. <laughs> Another really cool thing that they did on this record that I really fucking loved was that they had uh, fan submitted artwork, and then people voted on what art they liked, and they released four different versions of the album cover. I thought that was really cool too. Yeah, and I, uh, I specifically, just so everyone knows, went for the uh, stitched up doll one. Yeah, I thought that was the coolest one, and I liked Same. it so much that I also got the poster for it. <laughs> nice. I got the shirt because <laughs> I, when the album came out, uh, I had to get it that day, uh-huh. uh, and I didn't want to wait. And the only album cover that they had in the store was the teddy bear one, and I was so fucking bummed because that's my least favorite. And I was so excited for that that mummy yeah, so, zombie so, one. So so there's the there's the stitched up doll one. There's the 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 doll one, the uh, voodoo doll one that I think yeah. is the most uh, recognizable one. Uh, there's also this one where like <laughs> I don't know, it looks uh, like an abuser so walking in on there, someone who's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, there's like a ugh, yeah, like a boogeyman in the doorway of this like girl it, it actually. It reminds me of that. It reminds me of that meme with the with the goofy opening in the in the back, uh, the door. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's and that's crazy that the one second place because the one that yeah. we like the most won third place. And I'm like, how did y'all not like this like awesome kind of like Invader Zim style like stitched up people in like an insane asylum type of? I thought it was or, really thought, cool. Yeah, it was so cool. I had to get that shirt. I was like, I was so bummed that I got the album cover I didn't want. And I'm just like, at least buy me the shirt, daddy. Yeah. I went, hey, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Can you buy me the shirt or I'm going to have fucking issues for the rest of my life? (laughs) (laughs) 
Let me see, like before we get into the music, I want to see like if I missed any or into our choice nugs. If I missed any of these uh, notes that I wrote down. Oh man, I feel like this was the the era too, like when Corn was uh, and Ibanez were like super buddy buddy, mm. and Ibanez released a bunch of like these new pedals that were all uh, all metal. And like the knobs could be like get pushed in, so the whole thing would be like flat, and like your settings wouldn't get messed up because it would almost like lock oh, in your. Was that was wait was that them specifically that was them. or? Because I have one of those pedals still to this day. Like it's actually a pretty fucking cool little uh, invention when you're talking about the knobs, to just so they don't change while you're playing or whatever. You can push yeah. them in so they hide. I, I thought it was, was really cool. Really cool, and I had never seen like all metal. Mm-hmm. pedals like that either um yeah man that that was that was them like they i don't know if that was like i don't think they were branded corn but i know nah, that they, they, corn was like promoting or like exclusively using them yeah i felt like i would have known if it was if it had their stuff on there i don't think it did i don't know there were never any logos on there but they were the coolest looking pedals i bought like the flanger the chorus a distortion an echo mm. And a couple other ones only because Korn used it, man. Like Korn's the reason why I got a seven string guitar. Like Korn's the reason why I wanted a Mesa Boogie. Yeah, all of these bands you know? from that day, they were all into down tunes, seven string guitars. Um, uh, all of them with the, what's the name of that fucking pedal? Uh, I think it's just the metal pedal from. Um, yeah, the boss metal. Yeah, the boss metal pedal. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that like kind of gunmetal gray one, and like yeah, they had that uh that red boss pedal that was like I think it was a multi effect pedal, mm-hmm. but it had a wah on it. Like mm-hmm. there were so many things that I wanted and bought just because Corn used it. For sure, and I got a seven string guitar I think in like ninth grade, and that was just way too late because mm-hmm. by the time I got it, I wasn't even listening to that type of music anymore. Yeah. So I was so psyched to get one, and I actually ended up getting the like the lamest seven string guitar that Ibanez had in their lineup. Because originally I was going to get that Steve Vai Universe seven string that oh, had like Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God! It was so over the top, dude. It had like a mirror uh, pit guard, and it had all this mother of pearl like inlay in the mm-hmm. in the frets, and it had like pyramids and, and the, third, uh, the I just, Illuminati third eye thing all over Steve, the place. Steve Vai is one of those guys. I just do not get his aesthetic. Uh, I do not like it at all. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest shit, dude. And, <laughs> and it was like something. It was probably like $2,500 I want to say at the time. Mm-hmm. And my dad got it for me. Like, I he ordered it and Guitar Center had it, and they were uh-huh. holding it basically until Christmas. Like my dad didn't want to pick it up until too then. early, yeah, because because he knew I would just keep asking for it every day. I wouldn't wait till Christmas. <laughs> and so what he would do, it was almost like I would visit my guitar like every weekend. So he would take <laughs> me to Guitar Center, and they would bring it out the case, and I'd get to play it a little bit in the store. And because they got it for me like months and months before Christmas, and I kept going to Guitar Center just to look at it and play with it, and and I started feeling more and more guilty uh, for for getting it. Really? Like, uh, yeah, because the more and more I was playing it, like again, I was in ninth grade at that time, so I was already like moving on to like Bad Religion and Rancid mm-hmm. and Ska and all this stuff, and I'm just like, dude, what am I going to play with a seven string guitar? Like at this point, it's just like I don't know if you guys have this word in Peru, but it's like 
uh, it was an antojo, which an antojo? is just like, yeah, an antojo is just like, it's just something you want. Like, you don't need this. You're not going to mm. use it. It's literally just like, oh, it looks so cool. I want it. And so I months and months of me visiting that guitar, I started feeling really guilty asking for it. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want it anymore. And I grew up uh, spoiled, man. So like, you know, like a $2,500 guitar, my dad was just like, okay. Cause you know, <laughs> he, he knew I was going to use it. Right. And he, you know, wanted to make me happy. And then I was just like, man, like what part of me is like taking advantage of that, of that niceness of my dad, you know? So yeah, that's a yeah. lot. That's a lot of self-awareness to have at that age, man. Fucking. I feel really a lot bad. of people, a lot of people don't even fucking think about that. Well, I fucking regret it. <laughs> I I wish I had that guitar now. I would have played it in Mortalis for sure. It would have been the coolest guitar to play on stage. Like it's just so freaking awesome. And I looked, mm-hmm. and they still sell them. They're, you can still buy them, and they're like sixteen hundred bucks now. Like they're cheaper. Uh, but but like, they're probably nowhere near. Like it's probably made in Mexico with like exactly. the cheapest fucking shit. And exactly, yeah, like, that they, was don't, a they, 20, don't, they don't make stuff like they used to for sure. I regret it. You know, as as much as I can like morally or ethically or whatever i can feel good about not getting it like i definitely fucking regret not having that guitar now (laughs) and then but i still it was so weird because i was like this one's too nice it's too nice and and so i told my dad i was like i don't want it anymore i want a different seven string Mm -hmm. and my dad was like what the fuck okay fine and so i ended up picking one that was a, a west borland model and it was uh like tiger stripes this like really bright tiger stripe West Borland tire stripe. You know, I Googled it the other day and I could not find the exact one. So hopefully you can find it. But oh my God, it was the coolest. It was like the next coolest looking seven string. <laughs> and I was, Is it, was it, it, was it yellow and red? I mean, uh, yellow and black. Um, yes. Yeah. I think I found it. <laughs> oh man. I thought it was so freaking awesome. Uh, and yeah, and it was just kind of the same thing. Like my, you know, they ordered it for me. My, I, I kind of was doing the same thing where I was going to, to guitar center. Oh yeah. I found it. Yep. It's there. <laughs> oh my God. It's beautiful. Uh, man, it's, and like, man, looking at West Borland's fucking getups and everything, like his shit was awesome. So cool. And it was like the next best thing. Right. I'm just like, man, if I'm not going to get like, I don't know, I guess like, I didn't even know who Steve Vai was, but I was just mm-hmm. like, if I'm not going to get that guitar, then I'm at least going to get like a West Borland model, you know? And I thought it was awesome, but then the same thing happened again where it's just like it was another two months or something before Christmas. I kept visiting it and kept visiting it, and then like I I started to not like it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I told my dad, I don't want that one anymore either. And he's like, you're driving me fucking crazy. Just pick a a guitar. And so I picked like the S-series, like just kind of sparkly gray one that was the Mm -hmm. most like nondescript, most boring seven string that Ivan has released and uh, I never played it. And I sold it like five years later at a pawn shop to buy some like hollow body fucking no name guitar. Cause I was just like, dude, I might as well like get something I'm going to like. Right. Just so many bad decisions that I made <laughs> in so little time. I, I could have two fucking badass guitars, one of two. And I have neither <sighs> of them now. Dude. I mean, I spent $10 on Dogecoin like seven years ago. <laughs> And I could have been a fucking like thousand air today, but nope. 
I know, dude, it's like those are the thoughts that like keep me up at night sometimes. Oh man, especially with the Dogecoin one. Like I just remember setting that shit up with uh, our friend Ricky and thinking it was never going to amount to anything. It's a complete fucking joke. It's a co- it's a coin based on a fucking dog. <laughs> and now look at me. And look at it now. Yeah. I mean, apparently, like, what's the deal with Elon Musk and Dogecoin? Like, what's going on there? Oh, man, it's just, uh, you know, cryptocurrency is completely unregulated right now. So uh, there are very rich people out there like Elon Musk who are realizing that they can use their platform to uh, essentially pump a dump. So uh, if if you remember, Elon Musk allowed Tesla to accept Bitcoin a while back. And, you know... You know damn well what this motherfucker did was bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin, announced that Tesla was going to accept it, which is one of the, you know, people know what Tesla is. And so to hear that Tesla is now accepting a cryptocurrency, which before people just don't see as like, you know, worthwhile or anything, of course, it's going to go up a little bit. So because he bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin and then you see the rise in Bitcoin immediately after Tesla starts to accept it. Essentially, you know, I can't say this for certain, but like, man, you know, he fucking sold that shit immediately to make money off of it. Oh, yeah. And you also know that he bought he bought a whole bunch of Dogecoin before all this stuff with with, you know, with him announcing they're not going to step Bitcoin anymore. Like he's just choosing out of all the cryptocurrencies, he's just choosing a side with Dogecoin now because he's realized that he's such a like Twitter meme lord, you know? Yeah, a weird type of influencer. A very, very weird type of influencer, and uh, he's using his audience to uh, pump and dump right now Dogecoin. Like, he just, he, these people know what they're doing, man. They know exactly what they're doing. Man, it, 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 so- fucking, it fucking sucks, too, because, like, I know, you know, I have a couple of coworkers who are, like, watching Dogecoin go up and down, and, you know, it went into the red massively last week. And it fucking sucks because, like, these guys, I know they're putting money into it and they've lost money last week. And they're not rich people, man. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> they're taking advantage of, of people who, uh, you know, are hanging on by a, a hope and a prayer. Yeah, man. It's just, it, 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 it just sucks to see because, like, to me, it seems like a billionaire is just throwing, you know, a $100 bill on the floor. And us fucking plebs are just like scrambling to get a fucking fraction of that money. Because every, and I mean, you every have this guy that's manipulating the market, basically. Yep. I mean, yeah. The fact that honestly, like the fact that he ended up on SNL, like, really disturbed me. Yeah, and you know, he took advantage of that situation to uh, uh, sell up on cryptocurrency and all that stuff. I really. To me, uh, Elon Musk is probably one of the more dangerous billionaires out there because he is really living up to that, like, oh, he's just, um, you know, a real life uh, Tony Stark. Yeah. And he and it is weird to know that uh, a CEO has influence over people who don't work in his company, don't invest in his company or anything like that it's just his personality is he's developing a a following yeah and it's a really weird phenomenon man the fact that he got on snl like makes no fucking sense to me at all yep uh i bet you i bet you kind of greased some wheels it'd be pretty easy for him right it'd be pretty easy for him to grease some wheels i feel like that had to be it 
Like he paid his way in or something because it doesn't make any sense. I wouldn't be surprised. And some of those skits, man, like I just saw, you know, I heard that he appeared and uh, some of the skits, you know, were really fucking bad. Oh, boy. People were not joking. Like underestimating how bad it was, really? Oh, man. Yeah, they are fucking horrible. Like just watch the, the Super Mario one. Yes, the Super Mario one where oh, Elon Jesus Musk Christ. plays fucking Wario. And it's just like, it's kind of like halfway through the skit, they realize that they're with nothing that they're saying is funny. (laughs) It's just completely fucking dry the whole time. And I feel like a lot of it too was kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge towards um, people, uh, I guess, giving him shit for using Twitter as a platform and that, you know, people were trying to cancel him or whatever. Uh, Fucking bullshit. Jesus Christ. I mean, Yeah, it's crazy to think that like some members and writers of SNL like didn't participate in that episode because they didn't agree with Elon Musk hosting. Oh, really? And, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Like several people spoke out just being, and, you know, and the same as anyone else that you know is paying attention and being like, wait, well, why is he hosting this show? It's like it's ask, yeah. it's like asking Jeff Bezos to host or like Bill mm-hmm. Gates or something. It's just like this doesn't make any sense. These people aren't entertainers like why are they hosting a sketch show and i mean to be honest like if snl wasn't falling off hard already like the fact that they got elon musk to host like that felt very dirty to me yeah like something felt really wrong so um yeah i i've kind of they kind of lost my respect a little bit having him host like i'd rather have fucking soldier boy up there (laughs) anyone else it's just like it's so it's so tone deaf and uh you know it just goes to further show that like there are so many circles within our society where we just do not know how other people outside of our circle are living uh i don't know how anyone could support this guy specifically after the pandemic um when he was just openly uh talking about how he just knows better when it comes to covid that it's not that you know easily spreadable that's going to end everything's going to end in april which is a fucking like i you yeah um it was incredible to see people like that specifically uh, like you when you can easily look up to see how other nations around the world were reacting to it like this it was pretty early on in 2020 where like china was closing down entire cities which i think at that time was unheard of i mean really think about what that entails especially when it comes to china and how big some of their cities are some of their cities are enormous like they just have nothing i mean we don't have anything compared to what china has as far as like the size of some of their cities to think that they were able to just completely block them off from people entering and exiting and like why would they do that if it wasn't serious why yeah. would they go through all that trouble of building entire hospitals out of nowhere uh, if it wasn't a serious thing to consider? And like testing like a million people a day. I think they were reaching that number at some point. And yeah. I mean, you look at like how South Korea handled handled it and they like did so much better than we did. And yeah, man, it was just so trippy to, to kind of be like, that's when, you know, just to kind of take out the whole Trump aspect of it. I was just like, wow, we really are living in like two different realities. Oh yeah. Like and and that was when I when one of my coworkers kind of like exposed himself as a as an idiot. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my god, like this was a guy I respected. This is a guy who I saw as like my work dad." 
yeah. kind of. And then he starts saying that shit and he's just like, you know, we've had COVID. COVID's been around since like we, we've known about this since the early 1900s. I'm like, mm. uh-huh. And he's like, so I don't see what the big deal is. He's like, I, I don't want to stop going to restaurants. I don't. I love going to restaurants. I'm just like, yeah. uh-huh. And then saying like, I don't know why we're doing all these changes to our marketing. It's just not going to be a problem in two weeks anyway. We're just wasting our time. And all of us are just like, holy shit, man. Like, yeah. I mean, big surprise. That dude was fired like months later. Because <laughs> this, he just kept, he kept like. He had, was, ish- he had issues. He had issues. <laughs> and to get back to that, uh, yeah. <laughs> what, were your, uh, what were your choice nugs on this, man? What are your two favorite songs on here? Uh, falling away for me, make me bad. Hey, daddy, somebody, someone was also a really good song. Um, that chorus is fucking great. On yeah. Someone. Yep. And it's also, um, just to hear it back real quick so I can remember I correctly. There's like that really brutal fucking that I think it's just another chorus, but they cut it in half or like they do like a half time. So. This is one of those songs where, like, um, what I said earlier, as far as like the guitar is just really fucking coming in super heavy, and like I really wonder how they recorded the guitars to like give it that beef that the bass can't. Yeah, the the intro is just a, a perfect example of that, and like such great work between the bass and the drums. Yeah, I love the that riff too. Yep. The yeah, and then they they cut that in half for like the second or third course or something like that, and yeah. it's just like, dude, it just feels like this like like, yeah, a, like a, somebody help me. Oh my god, like it feels yeah. like a like a war song. Like you're yeah. about to like it's like shit just got real. It's like 300 when the elephants showed up. <laughs> Right, there are elephants in 300, right? Or am I thinking Lord of the Rings? Uh, elephants. Uh, I'm thinking Oliphants from Lord Oliphants. of the Rings, probably. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's that yeah. part just made me think of like just a giant elephant walking, like marching into war. And I was just like, yeah. oh, it's so brutal and awesome sounding. I can definitely see that. Uh, well, I'm right there with you, man. And, and it's like, I hate, I hate any time when we're doing an episode that my choice nugs are the singles. From the records, I always well, want to like. I mean, for a reason, for a right? Reason, like, right? yeah. 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 Uh, and especially, I feel like um, people were a lot more, I guess, decisive when uh, doing it um, singles back then. I don't know. Like, sometimes I feel like a lot, a lot of day, uh, a lot of the times nowadays, the singles really aren't the best song and off of an album, right? And. Uh, I don't know. I think there was a lot more writing uh, on the choices of the single for an album compared to now, because uh, there just there just wasn't the same amount of democratization that we have now when it comes to music. Like anyone can fucking write an album and put it on the internet and you know see what it can do. Dude, but I mean, that, when, I, when I'm seeing Travis Barker, you know, collaborating with TikTok artists. Yeah. I'm just like, dude, shit is changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think. Um, I don't know. I think as we as we continue to go into the future, I think we're going to start seeing less and less as like group collaborations and more of like 
following single individual people. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going to look like or anything, but I feel like uh, that's the way things are going. Dude, I just found out about some some things called VTubers. Have you heard of VTube? VTubers? Uh-huh. So these are virtual artists, virtual musicians. So like no mm. one knows what they look like. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's funny you brought that up because uh, a while back I saw a video of um, – Man, I cannot remember her name, but it's this uh, this little Asian girl who um, yeah, she's she like the most to, popular one. Yeah, she's. I think her name is Miko, maybe. Yeah, uh, like it starts with an uh, so, something H. Yeah, so she um, Sakura Miku. She's Miko. from the uh, game development world, and at some point decided that she was going to start streaming on Twitch, and she took a lot of her knowledge from like motion capturing and applied it towards that. So like. She has one of the most expensive setups for Twitch that is known. Like it, it should have cost her like ten to twenty thousand dollars, and it's because she wears a full motion cap suit so that she can right. instantly change the way she looks, and it looks, you know, really good. There is some like weird stuff that happens when she moves around, like the like the computer's trying to catch up on certain things, especially when like. She's folding her limbs. Like sometimes things go mm. through things that they shouldn't. But like, that's the future, man. Uh, people putting up these getups. You never really know who they are, whether it's even real or not. You know, right? And it's weird. Like she's a musician. She has a huge following. She's super, super popular. Mm. No one knows what she looks like. Yeah. She's an anime character. That's a that's a an artist. Mm. And that is like my fucking dream, dude. Like that's yeah. exactly what I would want. I would want to be world famous, have a ton of money from my music, and no one knows what I look like. Yep. Like that's like that is exactly what I've wanted my entire life. <laughs> and I, now, I mean, now I'm just a fucking voice in, in a fucking computer. It's so it's funny, man. Like there. it's so it's it's something that I've been thinking about a lot with. Uh, the current project that I'm working with in Mellow Malton and that like uh, I'm really thinking about like, uh, you know, doing a sort of get up exactly like that because uh, I feel like that's something that I need to do in order to just continue to be relevant, you know? Sure. And uh, also like for me to, I think it's easier to get into the mentality when you have uh, some sort of like costume and everything, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, you can it's, create a whole uh, persona. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like with uh, I think Dead Mouse. You know, mentioned something about that. How like uh, if you're an introverted, if you're introverted and extremely shy, just fucking wear a mask. Yeah, it's like Charlie and Always Sunny that he wanted to like mm-hmm. put up a curtain in front of his <laughs> where he was playing piano because he didn't want the audience to see him and he yeah. didn't want to see the audience. <laughs> and it's just like that's exactly what I would want to do. Like mm-hmm. I, I totally understand that. And it is like, it's, a, it, it almost gives you total creative freedom. If you just create a whole different person and it's not even you really mm. like it's no one sees you like everyone's seeing this animation or this, this character that you created. Like mm-hmm. that's a totally, that's like something that when I first heard about it, like the VTuber thing, I was like, this is so weird and kind of creepy to me and the more i think about it i'm just like oh shit like it's just coming like my, what i've always wanted is actually becoming reality now 
I'm like, well, this is what I was talking about. It's. I think the creepiness of it comes from the fact that, like, I think, and I mean this with all sincerity. I we're. I think we're gotten to that point now where technology is actively making our lives worse. Oh yeah. And uh, the the scary thing about it is that we have yet to see how people are going to use that in a bad way because it's so brand new. Um. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, thinking about like watching um, that old movie Gamer that came out, I think when we were in high oh, school. Oh, with, uh, was it Russell Crowe or uh, um, the, the guy the who did 300? 300. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, whatever. Gerard Butler. Uh-huh. And it was like, yeah, people, it's like that was the first concept or the first time I'd, I'd seen the, the idea that like someone who's pretending to be a hot woman is just a fat, greasy guy in real life. <laughs> And, I'm just and like, that's, that's kind of and that's happening right now. Like, like yeah. that's uh, there was uh, there's that one creepy ass Japanese guy who's like in his sixties or seventies, and he's got a, like a really famous TikTok account because uh, uh, media manipulation now on these programs has gotten so good. Like, you basically have Photoshop in a lot of these right. programs. Yeah. And they're able to manipulate images and video in real time. So, like, this guy looks like he's a 17-year-old little Japanese girl, but he's in his fucking 60s. How creepy and that's, is and that? And that's how, he, that's how he makes his money. That's, I mean, yeah, it's, that's, that reminds me of that movie, and, and that made me so uncomfortable when I was watching that as a kid. I was just like, ugh, I don't want to, like, I never thought about that. Like, people just completely, like, pretending mm-hmm. to be a totally different person online was, like, a new concept because like online social media stuff was like very new in that era when that movie came out but it was almost like half like second life mm-hmm. but you were living it in vr and it was just like yeah the, the greasy the greasy fat dude was just like literally had like french fries on his belly and he's just like <laughs> he's like oh yeah yeah you like that don't you baby blah blah, blah. <laughs> but then like in the actual video game he, he's a beautiful woman and i'm just like dude that's uh, like these vtubers can literally be like that that miko girl mm-hmm. can be a, a six a 60 year old man yep. just pretending to be a, a young anime character mm-hmm. and you know there's something sexual about it oh yeah Th- that dude's oh, yeah, not pretending sure. to be a 17 year old girl because he just wants to make money i mean it's it's uh it's all over twitch right now uh as far as like uh, a lot of women and like, and this is all because, you know, again, because of the pandemic. So, so many people are just trying to figure out ways to fucking survive at this point. And so many of them have figured out and it, it's fucking sad too, because like, uh, it's like almost can't even fucking watch porn anymore because like yeah. so much of the, so much of the stuff is like home, obviously very homemade and it's just, and I just feel bad for these people because, like, man, like, I can't even fucking enjoy this because I know you're su- <laughs> like the reason why you're doing this because you're fucking suffering financially right now. Yeah, I mean, they're really and and, if- and so much of it is just made up. Like, I, I can, you know, I come from, um, I used to professionally work in Photoshop, so like, I, I notice a lot of things in videos and and pictures that maybe the average person doesn't notice or see, but. Nine times out of ten, whenever um, whenever you see uh, those kinds of like pornographic images, like they're just fucking mod- modified to the point of absurdity. Sometimes, I mean, you, I look at some of those women, I'm just like, oh my god, like I didn't know girls could look like that, and you're just like, because they don't, 
they don't and you can tell because of how like the curtains or the fucking carpet in the background is obviously like morphed like it's just i never noticed that shit ever yeah man like one of the easiest ways you can tell is just look at the background and see if any of like if any of that background has is morphing to the part of the body that is obviously manipulated so like for example someone has curtains in the background anything straight really you can you can easily tell that there's been manipulation that's had man i'm so thankful that we grew up when we did because like i know what a real woman looks like mm-hmm. and like what a real naked body looks like uh, i mean yeah, think man. about could, could, i mean could you imagine being in middle school in high school as horny as you fucking were and having a fucking phone at your disposal like yeah, it, to be able to satisfy to be able to satisfy whatever fucking needs you had whenever I, I, like i wouldn't be here today i'd be just a, a chapped dick in, in a <laughs> fucking bathroom somewhere like imagine if jonathan davis had oh my like, god <laughs> jesus christ had, i can't even his- imagine the porn that jonathan davis would make <laughs> I mean, you're hearing all that shit about Marilyn Manson, too. Like, it's just like, oh, my God, dude. Like, these people, like, not... It wasn't always a persona. You know, know, it it was very obvious that, like... I don't know. To me, reading up about uh, Jonathan Davis' history and everything, like, a lot of these songs are, like, almost directly written towards his abusers from uh, his high school and middle school uh, Mm -hmm. ages. Can't help but feel fucking bad for him. Yeah. and yeah. it makes you wonder how like someone like that would uh, react and adapt to a world like we live in nowadays. I think it's um you know if mental health was an issue back then, it'd be for those types of people, it'd be a way bigger issue now. It'd be mm-hmm. way harder to deal with. It could, but it could be the other way around too, where they could find people who could help them more mm-hmm. easily. You know, but. I, you know, I, the the cynical part of me just makes me think like, oh, they would just fester. They would just, they would, you know, 4chan is what mm-hmm. those people, you know, 4chan and 8chan and QAnon and all these, yeah. all the crazy conspiracy theory stuff. Like that's, you know, you think about like incels and stuff like that. Like you, Jonathan Davis would have, he could have been a very dangerous person in in this era. That's, versus like that's, that's growing pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy to think about. I yeah. know that like, uh, that society back then just had built-in mechanisms to prevent people like that from, um, I guess, hurting others too. Yeah, and, they just uh, didn't get any help. You know, yeah. that's the that's the shitty part of it. Yep. It's like they were protecting others, and and then you know they were protecting those people from uh you know those uh I guess the the little corners of the world that would have made it worse for them, mm-hmm. but also they weren't really helping them deal with the issues so tell you not at all (laughs) i mean it's and it's it's really interesting that we keep like kind of circling back and talking about this type of stuff and then i keep looking at the album title i'm like oh my god this album's called issues yeah (laughs) he's just like i got issues all right it's very fitting it's very fitting (laughs) yeah yeah it's weird how relevant uh how relevant this is just in in like in the themes and the content on this record of just like to, you know, just mental illness is still like a thing that people deal with. And it's, it's crazy to think like people who were doing meth, people who had all these like mental instabilities and all this stuff, still writing this really good music and getting it. It's weird to think that like music helps you get this stuff out. 
you right. know, because you think like, you don't think of music as therapy all the time. And then you listen to this album and you listen to a lot of corn stuff and, and other, you know, bands of that era. And you're just like, dude, they were like, they were really putting themselves out there. And, uh, I think it goes, so like, again, with the, the use of the word rape consistently throughout this album, I feel like that's one of those things where like, um, so like the me too movement, obviously like the whole process, like we weren't even close to that back then. Right. And I think for a lot of guys, uh, who were writing this kind of music back then, like that was the worst thing that you could possibly think of happening to someone. Exactly. Yeah. But, but like, nah, dude, you have no fucking idea. Like, like I think one of the, one of the songs that I have most, have the biggest issue with <laughs> is, uh, I think it's you wish you could be me. Yeah. Yeah. Number 14 on this track, uh, where he, the whole time he's just talking about like, uh, everything that you're doing me, doing to me is rape. And and then that, with that very last line, why don't you look at me in the eyes, you fucking pussy. Yeah. Like, it's just so, oh man, you have no idea. Like, it's just, I, I get it that you're trying to relate to something pretty fucking bad but like you just don't even where can you even begin with that with that topic yeah, right exactly yeah i mean you think about like their first record too i don't know how much you listened to it but like a lot he talked a lot about that stuff mm-hmm. on their first record too and i think that's why i probably enjoyed follow the leader more than any of their other records because follow the leader seemed like more shallow mm-hmm and so I was able to kind of like not, it didn't take me to a dark place listening to it, you know, yeah. like listen, listening to their other stuff. It was just like, Oh my God. Like you knew what happened to him just because of the stuff that he put in his lyrics, you know? Mm. And, but what was really funny is when I was a kid, I was like, their original album was so dark to me and so like messed up and the lyrics were so messed up. And then I, I listened to it recently and I'm like, Oh, he's just talking about getting picked on a lot. Yeah. Like, I thought I was like, oh, my God, the abuse. And, you know, getting picked on is fucking terrible and it's hard. But, like, <laughs> like listening to it, I'm like, oh, he's just complaining about getting picked on. And, like, yeah. just kind of put – and it, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, my God, this is so dark and brooding and blah, blah. And he's like, you guys called me a, the F word. <laughs> and, like, that's, that, that's, that's part of the reason why it's so hard to listen to this now just because – I don't know. I, I wonder what he feels about those incidences now that he's much older. Um, would he still find them relevant? You know, right? Yeah, I don't even know what he's singing about now. Right? I mean, they've come out with how many albums since this? Since this, and I haven't listened to any of them. I just think about because, like, for sure, I used to think this way when I was a kid because I was fucking uh, consistently bullied throughout middle school. High school was a completely different story. I don't know what happened during high school, but like all of a sudden everyone started to realize that like we could all get along with each other. Nerds aren't that bad. Yada, yada, yada. Something happened between eighth and ninth grade for me. And it was, I feel like it was everywhere. It's really weird. But uh, like even though it was such a tumultuous time in my life, like I just rarely even think about it anymore because like it's so fucking long ago for me now. And like, I don't think anything that I've suffered through that era is like still in me. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, you know, thankfully I didn't get picked on, uh, very much at all. And, but I just, I know that, you know, people that did and it it really does like fuck with you, man. 
Mm. Um, and it was, it did feel that way. Like going into high school that you're just like, Oh, this, this is like, yeah, it's like you said, it's just like somehow everyone kind of chilled out a little bit. Yeah. Like for me, it was the moment when I realized that like a lot of the jocks that like, I just didn't get along with back in middle school, all of a sudden like realizing like, Hey, we all played Starcraft when we get home. Like, <laughs> or uh, Diablo was another big one. Like, oh shit! Like we have, we all have that in common. Oh, okay, that's uh, that's cool. Yeah, man. Once you realize that, hey, the nerds can are kind of cool too. Yeah, you know. And I was in like theater, and I was in art, and I was I was just begging to get fucking picked on. <laughs> and no one, yeah, no one said anything. It's like, and I was in a ska band, dude. Like, it, like. <laughs> You think about any fucking high school movie growing up, uh, the you know the kid in the ska band got fucking picked on every day, mm-hmm. and no, it, it's it, yeah, it, it was funny. Like it's like we were talking about the Limp Bizkit episode. I was just like, what, what was I so angry about? Like <laughs> most things were fine, you know. Most uh, things were fine, but like you have you're having raging fucking hormones. Yeah, uh, and you have no idea what to do. You're with tr- it. you're trying to develop your own, like your own personal self, you know. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, and at the time, for sure, it seems like the biggest fucking deal. But then you grow up and realize that there's much worse things to worry about. <laughs> yeah, and shit gets really real um, yeah. when you think like, God, if, I wish I had the worries of when I was a kid. Now, yeah, you know, like yeah. I wish that that was all I had to worry about was like, oh my God, someone saw my butt in class, and now I can't go to school anymore. <laughs> I don't know why anyone saw my butt. I don't think that ever happened to me, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, I definitely got pantsed and uh, and I shit myself. So that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't great. That was sixth grade. Yeah, I sharted. Okay, let's just put it out there. I sharted in gym class and I everyone saw and everyone like. Saw. I feel like if that happened nowadays, it'd be fucking hilarious. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like so little, so so little things embarrass me now. But I'm just yeah. like, I would tell everyone I sharted just so everyone, so I could make my friends laugh. Yep, um, dude. Well. <laughs> I had the exact same uh, choice songs you did, like Falling Away From Me and Make mm-hmm. Me Bad were like my favorites. But there were so many like, again, like so many really cool riffs throughout the whole album. But like Falling Away mm-hmm. From Me has is like super catchy. That main riff is like badass and like really weird. It's like a mm-hmm. really weird riff. Yeah. I love the distorted bass and the verses. The chorus riff is like super like just heavy and, and sludgy. And they really like they really like let notes just kind of ring out a lot on this record. They'll just strum and it'll just be one really strong power chord and they'll just let that go, you know? And for, for a lot of those uh, instrumentals or like the little transitions between the songs for sure. Like, I mean, uh, just right off the bat with the first song. Um, it's so, like catchy. It's so it's so open and airy and like, I don't know. To me, it just sounds like the, <laughs> you're what? Going on the on like the battlefield war like theme, uh, it feels like you're waking up to like a desolate wasteland with like the yeah. fog covering most of it. Yeah, um, dude. Yeah, it's, uh, this album to me just sounds really cold. It's the best way I can explain. It, uh, it doesn't sound war- like, especially compared to um, the last album we did with Limbiscuit. It's it doesn't sound warm. It sounds cold. And a lot of it has to do with like the, the fidelity of this album and the kinds of like reverbs and delays that they use. Yeah. It's very open. Yeah. It's, it's they very, have a lot it's of very space. Open, yep. Yeah. They have space, a lot of space yep. on this record, but yeah, man, like, and make me bad. Those verses are like very, 
uh, open and kind of quiet and everything and like almost soundscapey. And then you go into that chorus and it's just like they're playing really heavy, just kind of like long uh, power chord, like letting it ring out. But then you also have that lead guitar part that kind of keeps that that soundscapey kind of open feel. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Falling Away From Me and Make Me Bad are two two songs on the record that have the most like hip hop influence on them too. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, like with the drums and uh, yeah, man, it make me bad. Almost sounds like a, like a B side of follow the leader. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that could have been on follow the leader easily. Like with the, how polished it is. Like this album is very polished weirdly enough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and it's yeah, also, man. I'd have to, I had to do more research into this, but like something that I noticed the, uh, the first time that I was listening to this album um, I was listening to it on Spotify, and I had to really bring it up uh, when I when I started listening to this album because, like, compared to the other more recent music that I was just listening to, uh, it was low. Like the volume wasn't all there. So I was wondering if this was still, you know, back in the era of like, or um, it's a result of the loudness wars, you know? Uh, right that albums and music in general just continues to be pushed uh, to its limits with compression. Uh, If anyone is into audio engineering, uh, when you look at a music clip in your DAW, uh, you can notice a lot of heavy compression with the sound waves look like literal square blocks. Yeah, it's called Uh, brick walling, right? Yeah, there's no nuance to it. Everything is as loud as possible. Uh, there's no dynamics. There's no like soft or low anything. It's just fucking mm, to the front. And I wonder if uh, this album suffer summer, suffers from that because uh, you know there's there's a lot of highs and lows in this album. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. I mean, listening to this on on like uh, really good headphones is yeah, it is really really good. Mm-hmm. Like the drums, especially like those sim- the symbols and the drums, like there's something about how he mic those or mix those or something. Like mm-hmm. they sound so nice, and like sometimes yeah. symbols can be like jarring and almost like give me a headache. Harsh for sure, yeah. Super harsh, and on this one, it's like they're very very nice to listen to. So like that's what makes me want to listen to this producer's like other albums. Because I'm just yeah. like. I mean, he, there's some big ones that he has that, are, that I already know I like. And I'm it, just like, it, I want to listen to everything he's done. It makes a lot of sense to me that he's the same one who did um, Battle of Los Angeles. Because now that you mentioned that, like, to me, those two albums, yeah, really sound uh, similar as far as um, everything is very distinct and clear. Everything sounds huge. Um, and a little bit, and again, a little bit cold. That's just the general feeling that I get. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of like. Uh, it's weird to say that it's polished, but it's still like cold. Uh, I think I think when I when I mention that, I'm I'm thinking about like saturation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know when albums are really saturated with a lot of stuff in the front. Like to me, that sounds warmish. I don't know how else to explain that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I think it's it does. He you can hear that all the instruments. Um, are separated in a weird. Yeah. That's a weird way to put it, but you can tell that they're all mixed differently. It's it's just mixed really well when you can yeah. hear every when you can hear everything on the album distinctly. That's when even the know. weird synth that the, mm-hmm. you know random the random synth stuff. It's like it all like it's weird that it all 
uh, blends together really well, but you can tell that it's different elements. Like there's sometimes where you listen to like metal now where you're just like, this sounds like they were all in the same room. And like, I'm hearing the drums through the, through the guitar mic, you know, man, that's, that's one of those things that like, I wish I had seen this video sooner, but like, I want to say like a year, year and a half ago, uh, I saw uh, a video with the composer who did this, the music for the Mandalorian and who also wrote, uh, that uh childish gambino album uh the one with oh, Redbone on it man he's amazing dude he is uh his first name is L- uh, ludwig i can't remember the rest mm-hmm. of his name he's, yeah, he's, a weird Ur- name. he's from europe and specifically it was this video about how he composed a lot of the stuff for that album and what really opened my eyes was to see how uh listening to certain parts for example off of that song redbone what seemed to me to be like one instrument doing one simple thing was actually three different instruments all doing separate things that sound really unified and cohesive once you put them all together. But like you take one element out and all of a sudden it's nowhere near the same sound anymore. So like, yeah, layering, who would have thought? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a ton of layering on this album. I mean, yeah, that 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 Ludwig guy also did uh, the Black Panther soundtrack. Really, man, he's he, just he's been everywhere. He, yeah, he did stuff with Haim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dude, he's he's killing it. He's definitely like he's gonna be the next big thing uh, in in record producing and songwriting, like for oh, yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, I didn't know that he did the Mandalorian. That's amazing. Um, yeah, man, I, I like it's like you said. Yeah, I think there is a lot of layering on this record, and it's like that's probably how they got the beefy guitars. It's not just two guitars playing, you know? uh, several fucking guitars, and probably tuned differently. And right, who knows? And probably different types of guitars, right? Like they're not playing the yep. same Ibanez guitar for all the parts, you know? Right. To get all that dynamics in there, like pretty cool. I would love to see like a documentary of the making of this record. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, what would you what would you rate this record, man? After saying after all that we've talked about, oh, after Elon man. Musk, after SNL, <laughs> after bullying VTubers, what's, what would you rate this record? I think I'd give it a seven. That's solid. I, that's dude. that's and that's not a bad yeah not a bad thing or anything. It's it's still like I said, I commend it for the amazing production value that this album has, but. Um, I would just say that I've grown past a lot of the songs on this when it comes to lyrics, for sure. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. There, there's just some, there's some parts where like I just I can't do it, can't do it. It's it's very cringe. Some yeah. of those lyrics, man. It's hard. It is hard to listen to. Um, yeah, it's a seven is solid, especially when you're talking about a corn record that came out mm-hmm. twenty years ago. You're just giving that a seven is a very good score. Um, and I'm right around there with you. I honestly have two different scores for this because. If we're talking just music, mm-hmm. at least a seven. If okay, not, if it, okay, seven, if five, it, you know what I mean? If we're saying just music, yeah, I give it like an eight and a half, right? Because it's it fucking, it's good. Like, for sure. Like, I was surprised when I was listening to this again, getting ready for this episode, at how much I liked the music. Mm-hmm. Like, and I did not like this record when it came out. I'm just like, have such a different appreciation for it now. But if, if you're talking lyrics and... Not just that. I mean, this is the best Jonathan Davis has sounded up until that point in Korn's, mm-hmm. you know, music uh, catalog. But like, 
man, his, I would give him a solid like two. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the music, all the other guys on the record, like, uh, yeah, I would say upwards of 7.5 or eight for me. Yeah. Like that's how good I think the music is on this record. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, I'm every, not every song is something I'm going to like listen to over again, but every song has a badass fucking riff and every song sounds good. Mm-hmm. There's not one bad sounding song on this record. Uh, I would, I would, I would agree. Uh, even the, tr- even the transients, like the, the transitional songs, like they, they add something to, they add something to the album. Um, like the very the very beginning with dead like i just love the um the, uh, the bagpipes oh the bagpipes like love when was it, the last dude. time you fucking heard bagpipes in a song you know yeah i mean i hadn't i the last time i remember hearing bagpipes and corn were on the, was on their first record mm-hmm. and i don't think they really brought it back much after that and i was really happy to hear that and honestly that first song like corn has no business being that catchy <laughs> on dead like that is such a catchy like minute uh-huh. and a half to open the record on um. Yeah, man. It, it, this kind of is weird. I'm gonna go listen to a lot of corn after this now. <laughs> I've tried to go back to Life Is Peachy so many times, and I just I, still, as an adult, I can't get into it. You know, but everything uh, else I love. The um, from uh, from for a lot of these bands back in the day, um, I never for a lot of these bands I couldn't enjoy like the first or second album just because I felt like they were still pretty raw yeah. and. Um, especially production wise like another another band that's like this for me is uh deftones um like i love deftones around the fur and after but i yeah dude i can't listen to adrenaline but i i can't i don't like adrenaline it's just it's missing a lot of the um the aesthetics that yeah the lushness that deftones eventually like uh embraces like especially with uh the singer chino moreno like he really um forget where i read where i read this from but uh he started to really focus with uh white pony on trying to uh resemble more female vocalists than male vocalists because he felt that like uh it was bringing something unique to the table that other bands weren't doing uh specifically specifically with songs like knife party i don't know if you remember that song or not i love that song yeah but like there's that that yodeling kind of part and everything in the middle Mm -hmm. of the track and yeah that's him specifically trying to meet to mimic more female vocalists i mean it makes sense too like how he'll sing kind of whispery a lot now and Mm -hmm. yeah starting like after around the fur like on white pony specifically that's when he started kind of getting yeah around around the fur has a the perfect mix, I think, of like the rawness from yeah. the first one and like uh, the stuff that they start to explore in, in White Pony. Yeah, I mean, they they became like art metal when you got yeah. to like White Pony and after for sure. Yep. Yeah, dude. As much as I wanted to like Adrenaline, and I've tried listening to it so many times, I can't do it. Too rough for me. Too rough. Yeah, too rough for me. Um, man, I did not think we were gonna make it an hour and a half. <laughs> Just the two of us. I thought Brett was like having Brett on here would, is the only reason we go that long. But I could talk to you fucking forever, man. Likewise. Yeah. And it's, I do, unfortunately, I do have to leave because my mom and my whole family are back uh, from doing their thing. So I got to go hang out with them. But, uh, dude, this was so awesome, man. Like, sure. I loved like having a reason to listen to corn again. 
<laughs> and any excuse oh, to talk man. to you about music, like I'll take that anytime. You know, like if you guys want, if you guys want to continue doing this, like for me, it's been a lot of fun just listening to albums that were such a big part of me growing up, and like especially after not listening to them for years. Uh, and like, uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of this music is seeing a resurgence for some reason. Yeah, like it's, I, I think, like I was I was really surprised to see how many uh, articles were written fairly recent recently about this album. Just kind of like, hey, remember when this came out, guys? And like, hey, it aged pretty damn well. Let's yeah. uh, let's do it again. Yeah, because it turned twenty, like uh, you know, in the last couple of years. And and yeah, uh, yeah man, I think it it is kind of you going back. It's always nice to see like this. You were just like, oh my god, I can't believe I listened to that so much. And you go back and you're just like, hey, this still fucking holds up. You know, man, a lot of it too is just like getting older and realizing how many things just come around in cycles. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend that you try and watch this show. Uh, I just started watching it recently, Close Enough. It's uh, okay. by, by the people who made uh, the regular show. It's oh, pretty, okay. It's pretty much the regular show, but for adults. And uh, there's this um, there's this one episode that I saw recently where uh, they're making fun of Logan's Run. You ever watch or know the, about that film? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, just for those who don't know, real quick, it's a dystopian film made in the 70s or 60s, I believe. I think it's where 70s. Uh, it's a society where everything's perfect at first, but then you realize the reason why, and it's because they kill everyone off who's older than 30. And this big. Uh, they have this big elaborate setup to kill off these people who turn 30 and it's, and it's called the carousel where everyone just kind of watches this one person, uh, die. I can't remember whether they get lasered or something like that, but it's a whole, it's a big thing. It's a celebration or whatever. And in this episode, uh, the main characters go to, uh, a bar and it's called Logan's <laughs> and they essentially massacre anyone there who shows up who's over 30 and uh, it's just, it made me realize, man, especially because, like, there was this one joke about this millennial who shows up who's, like, 36 or 37. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, fuck, dude, he's only one year older than me. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> and they're just roasting him. They're, they're just roasting the shit out of him. And, uh, like, just them making fun of a lot of the things that he likes, like the music of that era and everything. Like he's wearing a red hot chili peppers t-shirt and that's fucking old school now, you know? Oh yeah. That's all, that's all considered classic rock. So Jesus I mean, Christ. If, this, this era right now is just super interesting to me because like, you know, I'm just thinking about a lot of the stuff that we witnessed when we were kids and now it's happening again, except we're just viewing it from a different perspective. Yeah, and it's it's weird how it's like it's getting roasted now, but it's also getting weird respect now too. Oh yeah, <laughs> like I'm a lot, uh, a lot of stuff that like you know I couldn't imagine like I would not have probably listened to this album if it wasn't for the podcast. Like right, it, it's just my my musical tastes have changed so much uh, since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I'm loving this, like, exploring of all this. So, like, we're eventually going to do um, Meteora by Linkin Park on this show. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait God. to listen to that again. You know? Like, see that, that uh, shit held up. I, I, never, I never really got into Linkin Park. But, like, uh, I've probably mentioned this before. Like, Crawling has a specific, very distinct memory in my head where, like, every time I listen to that album, I just remember just waking up for school 
and getting ready and all that stuff because uh it was around that time in high school where crawling was like the biggest fucking hit at the time every day you would hear or see the music video the song whatever being played yeah meteora uh yeah i'm really excited to see if that holds up man it's 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 weird that this is like the soundtrack of our lives and we're just like going Mm -hmm. back and being like wow like so many memories tied to this music you know i wonder okay so i wonder what uh, if this has anything to do with it i've noticed that a lot of like music that's playing on the radio nowadays they're all talking about depression and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff in a way that like really reminds me of this about of music from this era um, I'm wondering if it's like a cyclical thing again. I think so. I mean, I think the Obama era of music, like I, I do like, I connect a certain type of like music that was coming out in that time mm-hmm. because Obama was president. Like, I feel like it was just like, I mean, the Pharrell song happy wouldn't be written right now, <laughs> you know? And that yeah. was, that was an Obama era song. Like, I yeah. feel like that was like an era of positivity. Everyone thought everything was so great. You know, and it's kind of like we're going, yeah, we, and kind of reality has set in. And, you know, the last like year, the last four years really like have just kind of like changed the landscape again, where it's just like, you know, it's just kind of you go back to the music from the early 2000s and it was all of like anti-government, anti-war. Yep. It was fucking angry. Everyone, a lot of the same rock band, a lot of rock bands are talking about the same thing. I think that's kind of happening again. And I think it's now it's like this generation of kids that are depressed and they don't know why. And I think that's what like all these TikTok artists are talking about. That's what all these like emo rappers are becoming a thing. Like I'm super interested to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, And I really want to try and check out some of that, that, that music because I kind of dismiss it as like an old man way of just being like, Oh, it's not real music. And I (laughs) kind of want to like give it an honest chance and see if I'll, if I actually like it or not, you know? Right. No, I think I th- I think a lot of it uh it, it's catching. It's just uh there's that juxtaposition like there's that one song like I can't tell you who it's by or what the song's called or anything but it's like it goes um I'm a lonely bitch. It's got like the the bubblies in the background and everything. Was it? Yeah. Her name is Benny and it's called Super Lonely. Yeah, Super Lonely. <laughs> I got to check it out. I never heard it. Um yeah, it's just uh, there's a lot of like poppy synth parts and everything, and the way that the woman is singing on it, it seems very playful. But she's talking about how like she's depressed all the time, just like in her bathtub watching the bubbles sink as she fucking puts her head in underwater. You know? Whoa. Like, um, I dig that. It's man. very it's very lighthearted. Um, I love that juxtaposition of like mm-hmm. having happy sounding music with really depressing lyrics. Yeah. I love that just and there there there's also another single that came out recently it's it might be Justin Bieber I don't know where like he's just talking like he's literally the lyrics are literally like I'm depressed or something like that um yeah it's interesting to see um how the younger generations reacting to everything that's happening right now and it kind of sucks cuz like uh, you're starting to see these internet cultures come out of it, like uh, Doomers, for example. Just like the idea, right. the idea that there's an entire generation on the internet that just really believes in their heart that like things are just going to continuously get worse from here on out, and that's their whole fucking outlook for that generation. It's it's fucking sad, you know. Like at at the very least, we had hopes growing up, you know. <laughs> I know, right? Like we all. I think had, there's too much. There, there wasn't. We weren't exposed to everything back then. 
yeah like you know that's you're probably right like the the notion that anyone can just look up anything whenever you want and uh it doesn't help that your phone is very inclined to just sh- continuously show you these kinds of things because it right. knows it's going to get interactions with you. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Uh, like, you got to realize like how everything media is just all about getting the clicks and and visits to the site now. You know, so it's like, and I, I've noticed things like, and I think I've brought this up before in a previous episode, but like, I found like a bunch of Ink Master they like that tattoo show. Mm-hmm. They put a bunch of clips on YouTube all the time and it'll be like the top 10, this, and the, you know, the best tattoos of this season and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that every now and then it would be like the, the five worst portrait, uh, tats of, you know, ink master history and blah, blah. And those were getting so many more views. Like, yeah. and those are the ones that, you know, to be fucking fair, I enjoyed those the most too. Like seeing someone like give a horrible it's, tattoo and just be like, Oh my God. And then now that's almost all that they post is like it's un- the worst tattoos of season nine. The it's unfortunate. Cause like you notice how like, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty big into YouTube. Um, and I notice how whenever I start watching a small channel, you know, they're starting to get big whenever they're starting to do certain like, um, things to their uploads that like other big YouTubers do like just putting the big fucking text on the thumbnail with like they're doing some stupid fucking face reaction on there like like uh, there's this one uh, channel that I'm I'm really into called uh, Cinema Therapy really fucking good I I, I highly recommend you watch it it's just these uh, it's a therapist and a cinematographer sitting down to analyze a movie from the perspective of therapy that sounds really interesting. Um, it is. And uh, lately, they've been getting huge. And as a result, they're starting to do the same stupid things that other big YouTubers are starting to do. And, it's just, and it kills me because, like, uh, I don't know. They seem the pretty formula legit. works, man. Yeah, the formula. It's unfortunate. The formula fucking works. The formula works, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like the punk rock NBA guy that I, I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he he admits he's just like, I know those thumbnails look stupid. I'm trying to look as stupid as possible. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's, I know I'm going to get plays if I do that, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you, you play the fucking game, right? Uh, yeah, man, that's, you know, and that's like, it's like this weird part of me that I'm just like, I, my, I don't know if it's pride or a false sense of integrity or something that I'm like, I just can't see myself ever doing that if, if I had to, you know, like, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah. It's a, it's a level of insincerity. I think that like, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine doing it myself, but you know, when you got money coming at you, man, it's it's yeah. something different, especially think, nowadays yeah. when people are just fucking suffering so much financially. It's so easy to fucking sell out because, man, you're seeing it, you're seeing it all over the place, you know. Yeah, I don't people think are, you, it's really easy to become a whore. Yeah, <laughs> like, fucking things, really easy. You're already whoring yourself out. Like, might as right. well whore yourself out for a little for a lot more fucking money. Yeah, you find out what they like. You start dancing for the people, you know. You know, I, I think this is something that y'all discussed in the last in the last podcast, but the idea of selling out. Um, I don't blame anyone for fucking selling out, man. Like no. fucking get in there, make your money, and get out. Yeah. To me, I see it as like just get that quick fucking influx of cash and then do whatever the fuck you want with it after. Like truly do whatever you want with it. Yeah, good for you if you get the money too. It's just like, yeah, man, go get it. Yeah. 
Like, am I really going to fucking care that people are going to call me a sellout once I have, like, the fucking studio of my dreams with all the instruments in my dreams and just fucking make no. music with however the fuck I want? Not at all. And, like, and shame to the same fucking masses because the music that I'm going to make is probably going to be nowhere near as popular as the stuff that's mainstream. <laughs> right. I mean, but it's just, again, man, if you find something that clicks and it's the right moment and the right audience and you just like it's you know something clicks and it happens for you then it's just like mm. mazel tov like i'm not gonna hate anymore you know yeah and it's and right now it's like all these people that are doing that goofy shit on youtube it's because they're they're smart marketers and they know what they're doing you know yep. they know what's gonna get them money so it's just like what am i gonna criticize that and like no i wish i was having the success that you guys have so yep. yeah like all power to you honestly um well, shit, man, I really do have to go. Yeah. But uh, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much. Um, let yeah, me know what other new metal album we want to listen to next. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, fucking Brett, wish we you were you, here, bud. man. Yeah, wish you were here, buddy. We miss you. Feel better soon. I don't even know if you're going to listen to this, but either way, thanks again, Luis. This was awesome, man. Thank you, guys. Love being here. Yeah, man, we love having you, dude. Too bad Brett couldn't join us, but I'll rub it in his face that it was a great episode. Fucking Brett. Typical. Uh, all right, man. All right, man. Well, this was good. It was awesome. Ta-ta. Uh, ta-ta. Everyone, just before you leave, go check out our social medias. Go to e- EBPcast on Instagram. I'm on Jean-Luc Guitard on Instagram. Brett is Brett Hanrahan. Uh, yeah, keep checking in for new episodes and uh, I don't even know what album we're doing next. We might've lost the last episode that we recorded because Brett's computer crashed. So we'll see if we even release that episode, but this one is coming out tomorrow, my friend. So well, I'm turning this around immediately, <laughs> but yeah, man. Awesome. So, uh, all right. Well, we will see you guys around. Thanks for listening, buddies. Bye. Bye.